Hello everyone, you are listening to the Igbo Initiative podcast with Ugochi Onyewu. Welcome to the show. Hello everyone, welcome to the Igbo Initiative podcast where we celebrate Igbo culture by speaking to amazing women in different walks of life who are either Igbo or have a very close tie to the Igbo culture. On today's show, we speak to Adana Onyeuchi. Adana's tenacity and zest for life stems from the lessons she learned from her parents and the strong sense of Igbo pride that was instilled in her from an early age. Adana is an infrastructure technology director who has managed programs that deliver customers' strategic goals. Adana has worked in consulting for 17 years at different organizations, including Deloitte, EMC, and General Electric. She holds an undergraduate degree from Drexel University and an MBA from the McDonough School of Business, Georgetown University. She is interested in helping clients resolve tough problems and she is passionate about using technology to solve business problems. On today's show, we talk about what it takes to succeed in the corporate world and beyond and how certain rules apply to everyone, regardless of their personality. Hi, Adana. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Gucci. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. Of course, of course. So we'll start off just by uh, you, if you could just give the audience a little bit of an introduction of who you are and what your heritage as an Igbo lady is and how that influenced you growing up. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a little bit of background and kind of weave in growing up as an Igbo child, having Igbo parents and being raised in an Igbo household. Okay. All right. Be glad to do that. Well, my name is Adana Onyewuchi. I live in Gaithersburg, Maryland in the U.S. Um, I was born in Ethiopia, which is a little odd, um, considering that both my parents are uh, Igbo. Um, My dad was in the foreign service uh, in Ethiopia, and so I was born in Addis. And um, so while I was young, we moved around a little bit throughout Africa, and it exposed me and my mind to, you know, different cultures. Um, some, you know, he had explained that he wanted um, his family to have a bit more exposure than, you know, the typical Igbo family. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, so from Ethiopia, we moved to Tanzania. Um, then we also lived in um, Gabon for a bit. Wow. Um, but um, after Tanzania, we ended up going back to Nigeria uh, for a short bit. Uh, my dad was going to settle there. And then, of course, the civil war broke out. Um, and my dad took a, a, a pretty uh, pivotal role, played a, a, one of the pr- a primary role um, during the war. Mm. Um, because, he spoke, because of his exposure in the foreign service, he spoke French fluently, mm. as well as Igbo mm. and English. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he used this um, as a way to translate um, and, and negotiate, um, given his background in the foreign service, he was able to negotiate with different African nations to take on um, Igbo um, refugees mm. and um, give them sanctuary during the war. So um, he would fly with the pilots out of Nigeria to different countries. Gabon was friendly mm. um, towards Nigeria, and so were some other African nations. Mm. 
so um, given that America was mired in the Vietnam War, mm. and but the British were backing the um, northern and Yoruba uh, forces that were against the Igbos, mm. um, the Igbos wanting to seize seed uh, uh, from Nigeria, um, and so it was there was a lot of Igbo pride at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, Ojuku was leading the. Um, the movement, and he rallied around young uh, and like-minded people, and my dad was one of them. Mm. And so um, he was one of those that would then, you know, go on the missions to bring refugees, take the refugees out of Biafra um, and into Gabon and other wow. countries, some to wow. the U.S. and different places. Yeah, so that kind of already sort of set the tone. So we went to the village, and because at that point, we, you know, the, with the war and everything, um, you had to, everybody kind of uh, t- retreated back to their, their homestead, if you mm. would. And my dad came from a large family, a family of 11. And my mother also was from a large family. And my mom's from Imbise, and my dad mm. is from uh, Obo in, mm-hmm. um, yeah, in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So he... Um, she also came from a large family. She had nine. She came from a family of nine siblings. Um, so they both had that um, backdrop in their in their in their um, in growing up. And so they not only growing up in large families, it forced you to share. It forced you to interact. Mm. Um, it forced you to you know the culture. Igbo culture was spread deeply embedded with you know those large families. It mm. was something that was. Um, I guess expected. Um, it was a norm, if you would. So fast forward. Um, <laughs> yeah. So during the war, um, eventually, when things got really bad, um, because you know, during while uh, there would be bombings and stuff like that, anytime there was an a, an alert sent out, then families would run down into bonkers to to shelter. And so, um, yeah. So one, one. I'll tell you this quick memory that I that that just stuck out, and and it kind of will highlight um, the day-to-day plight that you know Igbo people faced during mm-hmm. the war. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and I were dr- being driven, I think, by my uncle, a, fa- a family friend who who was from my village, Uncle Ben, and we were driving in a white uh, Volkswagen to. Some other place, I think we were just either trying to, he was trying to get us out because at that point my dad felt that it was no longer safe mm-hmm. for us to, to be in Nigeria. Mm. So we were in the car and, the, you know, the alarms and siren went off that there was about to be a bombing. Oh, so my uncle parked the car very haphazardly and my mom dragged me out and we ran into the bushes and my uncle ran after her, right? Mm. And while we're there, he sees my sister's face peeking through the window. He's like, oh my God, we forgot she went. So he runs back and grabs her and takes her out of the car, right? And so to this day, my sister, my sister remembers him as her savior. And we call oh, him Uncle Ben, our savior. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so, wow. That's... So that was just something I, I really remember. Yeah, I think I was probably three at the time. But oh, for some reason, goodness. I just, you know, you, there's some flashes. Yes, yeah. of course. Of course. How do you forget <laughs> something like that? Even at three, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yes. Wow. Yes. So you had a really, really interesting, <laughs> at least early childhood. And early I, childhood. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny i've known you for a while i've never heard the story so it's really interesting i'm like wow i can't even imagine <laughs> what that must have there's, been like i know. know there's even more so then to, to tell you so um so fast forward a little, another you know five or six months at this point we leave nigeria right and mm-hmm. um go to gabon um and my 
we lived in Libreville mm-hmm. and the capital. And then my, my, you know, our house where we were, what would happen, my dad was took to go back and forth to um, Biafra because that was, you know, what, what Nigeria, the, the name, you know, that mm-hmm. was chosen yeah. uh, for, for the Igbo, Igbo uh, group seating. Mm-hmm. Igbo and is also South, Southeasterners as well, mm-hmm. you know, because Calabar and people from the Rivers, the rivers yep. area were yep. also the part of that movement. Right. Um, so you would go back and forth in Biafra to bring refugees back. So I would remember sometimes at night we'd be sleeping and all of a sudden, you know, we hear noises and it's, it's you know, refugees, a few people were coming. Our house was a, a home, was a safe house. Mm. And so people would come and they would sleep in mats and, you know, till then, you know, the next um, transport, uh, they would be, be in transit at our house and go go to different parts. I know people would go to the U.S. My aunt, actually, one of my, my dad's youngest sister, eventually, when, when she came up from, from Biafra, she ended up going to Germany. Hmm. So I remember a lot of people going everywhere. And I also remember um, the, my older aunts and unc- uh, aunts and cousins singing a lot of the Biafran songs mm-hmm. and the war songs and everything. So I remember that very distinct. I used to play a lot of the, the music in, in, you know, on LPs. Mm. So that was kind of part of that movement. Um, just circling back a, a bit to during the war, another thing that allowed a lot of people to survive, even though a lot of them were slaughtered. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of um, hunger. Mm. Um, Kwashoko was yes. rampant. You'd have yes. kids with swollen bellies, but they weren't, um, they had no nutrition mm-hmm. and they were malnourished. Mm. Um, but something that stuck out, when my dad's uh, older brother, Uncle Godfrey, his wife was a chief nursing officer of the whole of the Central Eastern region. Um, so she used to get food supplies and stuff. Like, and so that's why in our home, in the, in the Ugu family, we had food, but then she would share also with others mm. um, in, in neighboring um, communities, mm-hmm. right? So those are some of the ways that people um, existed. Mm. Uh, obviously, the traditional Igbo trade by butter was, you know, still in existence. Mm. And so what would happen is if, you know, if somebody had um, some, whatever it was, some supply on some staple and someone else did not, uh, usually a Aziozi, somebody will send a message mm-hmm. to go and go to this family to go get, yeah. you know, whatever it was from them. Wow. Wow. So that was, <laughs> so that was really, you know, it was so out of the core. We were evil. We came for, you know, yes. the Afro was a thing, yes. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. this, is, this is amazing. I love, I love this. I'm just so amazed. I'd never, I mean, I knew you were born outside Nigeria, but I didn't really know mm-hmm. your story. This is so interesting. And so, you know, it's funny as you talk, a few things are starting to make sense, right? Because there's mm-hmm. a lot to unpack from that story. So from an early mm-hmm. age, obviously your father is just an amazing person. So I'm, I'm sure that formed your worldview as well. And also mm-hmm. the sense of community, just being able to help other people kind of explains a little bit about your personality because you're very <laughs> vivacious and outgoing and, you know, always, a, 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 you know, such a great networker and connecting people starting to make sense, right? So it's clear that you had a really sort of strong uh, foundation rooted in Igbo culture and Igbo pride. And I, I'm just interested, did you learn the language? I know you were outside Nigeria and you're traveling around a bit, but did you learn Igbo as well? So I didn't learn Igbo until I was probably nine. Mm. So after Gabon, my dad was offered a job for, with an oil refinery in Zambia. So we lived in Zambia for five years. So I went to school in Zambia mm. um, didn't learn the language there, didn't mm-hmm. learn Lozi or any of the other um, indigenous languages, mm-hmm. but loved the country, loved the people, made a lot of friends. And it's a beautiful country. If ever, ever go, Victoria mm-hmm. Falls is nothing like Niagara Falls. It's like four times the size. <laughs> it's 
awesome. But wow. anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. <laughs> 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 so, so after living in Zambia for five years, then my dad, he said at this point, um, because there had been peace, my dad mm-hmm. had done an exp- took, taken an exploratory trip back to Nigeria, probably 1973, because mm-hmm. we weren't, you know, nobody was sure if people who had participated in, in the Biafran uh, movement, if they were going to be um, imprisoned. So mm-hmm. he did an explore, took an exploratory trip back to Nigeria to see if he could get in safely, not get accosted, um, because at this point he wanted to move his family back to Nigeria, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to move us back to Nigeria. So, and we didn't really know the, the inner workings of it or the behind the symbol, but mom later on told us that that trip he had taken was just to test the waters, right? So he went back and luckily nothing happened. You know, he, you know, he was not accosted mm-hmm. and so he felt it was safe for us to come back. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, he took all of us back. So, but we were kicking and screaming, no, you're used to Zambia, Nigeria's <laughs> this loud and boisterous, we don't know anything about it besides we have our friends here, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, but right. he wanted us to understand the culture that we came mm-hmm. from and it was important for him as an Igbo man to raise his children, <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, with that. Makes um, sense. I mean, his compromise was obviously to not just take us straight to the village. So we grew up, he took us to Lagos. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of where we went. But one of the ways he enticed us to go back was, you know, obviously I loved plantain. So he told us that, you know, obviously um, Zambia being temperate did not have plantain. It wasn't tropical. Mm-hmm. So plantain was a, a good draw. Um, I didn't care for ube that much, but he did, we tasted it a little bit. It was okay, you know. Um, <laughs> so there are just a few d- food dishes. And of mm-hmm. course, the you know, grandparents yes. and uncles and aunts and cousins yeah so that was that was the draw interesting so so we ended up in lagos interesting interesting wow so you know tell me just in a couple of words based on your experiences because you'd already experienced a lot at a very young age you know what would you say are the things that you took away from your childhood that helped form who you are today you know like tenacity for example maybe or being being this person that loves to help other people being a networker what would you say was was really impactful in who you are as a person today does that make sense Yes, 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 yes. So uh, my dad always grilled in us. It's funny you say that because, I mean, it's, it, I can remember him saying that, right? So um, character was very important, the strength mm-hmm. of character of anybody. I mean, he would say a man, and I would, I would chime in a woman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, strength of character, a man's character is very important to like, yeah, dad, and a woman too. <laughs> you know, so strength of character is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, being true to your word. So not being um, conniving or, you know, duplicitous or mm. anything of that kind of stuff. You mm. needed to be straight up, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then um, being a hard worker, mm-hmm. being disciplined. My mm. dad was extremely, sometimes was a little, so I thought it was a little too disciplined because he didn't always have fun. Like my dad never liked watching movies that weren't fiction. It had to be, you know, documentaries or something based on real life. Right. Otherwise he didn't have time for it. So, mm. yeah, so those were some of the things. And then, of course, pride in in your family and your heritage Mm -hmm. so he would always explain our lineage to us Mm -hmm. that you know we're from Ugonoha's family in you know Mm -hmm. Ikenanzizi um in you know and then in in Ikenanzizi there are two parts of it Alike and uh, uh, Amuzi Mm -hmm. and we were from the Amuzi side Mm -hmm. so um those were very very important and just having then the last thing is also being always being humble because Mm -hmm. he felt that Anybody who, who was too proud, um, one, ended up 
not seeing the full picture mm. and and had a false sense of importance mm. that would always trip them up. Interesting. So those were the things that I learned from from my my dad. And my mom always always also be humble, um, be gracious was a big thing. And um, her one of her sayings I think was more to uh, you stoop to win. So you, yes. being um, being lowly didn't necessarily mean that you were without pride or without strength. Mm. Um, you know, mm. so. Great. That's great. So transition fast forward to where you are today. Maybe just take mm-hmm. us from that point. The lessons you've learned as a child, your parents obviously had a, a strong impact on who you are today. Um, take us to this point, because we kind of want to transition into mm-hmm. being an Igbo lady or a black lady in corporate America, right? In a, mm-hmm. You're specifically in consulting Mm-hmm. Talk us through that transition from, from, from childhood to where you are today, and then we can kind of go forward from there and start to talk about your experience as an Igbo woman in corporate America. Okay. Yeah. So, as I said, so some of the values growing up was, of course, strength of character, hard work, um, and learning from your environment, um, counting on others. So that translated. So as I went through um, high school and college, it was always the hard work, strength of character, mm-hmm. you know, and, and being able to count another. So in, in college, it was, of course, studying, forming study groups, learning about different cultures, because at this point I was in, in um, the U.S., mm-hmm. and so being exposed to others. Um, and then uh, always remembering still where you are from and your roots, right? And so I'd ha- I'd ha- being I'd ha- I'm the first daughter, so mm-hmm. I also had responsibilities to to my family, to myself, but to my family as well. Um, so I needed to always set an example. Mm-hmm. So being able from, to transition from school to work and, and sh- navigating um, corporate America, learning as much as I could. So some of the tools that my dad had taught, taught us, which was, you know, um, listening to other people, mm-hmm. um, but always remembering mm-hmm. that, you needed to hold your head up high. So yes. whatever environment you went into, um, of, I think in, in Nigeria, not just Igbo, you have the saying that says uh, that person, you know, can't doesn't have two heads, <laughs> meaning that they can't they, they they can't be more than you. They're just right. a human being, exactly. you know. Um, they're just yes. as mortal as you are. So yes. that that kind of helps you when you have the jitters and you go mm. into say corporate America and you have people who are trying to hold their head head up high mm-hmm. um, or, or try and intimidate you. Mm-hmm. Um, so being Nigerian grounded me mm-hmm. and gave me the strength and the courage to pursue things. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the side, the evil side of, you know, I don't know if it's in my blood, but definitely you hear and you see other people um, who are into tr- um, bartering and, and trading and selling. And some of those um, uh, characteristics are, are what I loved and I, I tried mm-hmm. to learn as much and absorb from people who had those skills mm. um, in Nigeria, but also in corporate America. So mm. it helped me every, every time I went back to Nigeria, you know, the fact that everyone in Nigeria is so hungry and driven and mm. as difficult as things are, you get up every morning and you do what you have to do. Yes. Being in a team like America was easy. Why, why were they complaining about, you know, some trivial thing? Well, yes. you know, we were dealing with real issues in Nigeria. So mm-hmm. being hungry mm-hmm. um, and coming from Nigeria, um, 
it translated into my wanting to learn as much as possible and to expand my skills, um, be able to be compensated fairly for it, mm. and to be able to rise within the company. Mm. So um, starting out in IT, I said that my major was food science. I wasn't in IT, but mm. somehow found my way into IT. Um, I took some certification exams and then, you know, was hungry to look for work. This was in the dot-com days. So yes. I, was able to, I, was being, I was given a chance um, <laughs> by various companies that I worked for. And so you know, use that experience to build on each, on, on, you know, on, on top of the other. Mm. And so I thought I moved fairly quickly through, <laughs> through the, the IT world. And I mm. really didn't think anything of it being a woman. It wasn't really that important. Mm. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't my focus. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more um, doing as much as I could for my family, my mm-hmm. nuclear family, because at this point I was married, right. um, as well as my extended family, mm-hmm. you know. And so seeing that, you know, you have so many people counting on you, mm-hmm. you, have to, um, you have to just stay steady and um, use your resources. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's how I got into consulting. Mm, interesting. And you've been in consulting for how long? You've been in consulting for a while now. You've kind of risen through the ranks within the consulting world. Yes, I've been in consulting for about 17 years. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, I, as I said, I worked in, in the food industry for about, I want to say, four or five years. Mm-hmm. So I was doing food research. Um, but yeah, consulting 17 years. Um, Started out as a system administrator, so mm-hmm. understanding on the Windows side of things, the Microsoft platform, mm-hmm. operating platform, mm-hmm. and kind of navigated. And now I'm more a mix of still infrastructure, but focusing more on information security, focusing on setting strategy, helping companies set strategy mm-hmm. for how they transition either to the cloud or transition and modernize their information um, technology systems. So I guess my question for you is, as an Igbo woman, because coming back to it, I know, and you you did mention something that made me think. It wasn't your focus, the fact that, oh, I'm a woman. It was just your hunger and your drive to succeed and to be able to help your nuclear family, which is actually a very important point, because I think one of the things that holds us back, and I have to remind myself of this as well, is when you go into a room, you don't apologize for being there. You don't think automatically, I'm a woman, and have, and bring that to the table. You think of yourself as equal to everybody else in the room. So I guess just piggybacking on that, what would you say to minorities who are looking to succeed within corporate America? What are the, some of the pitfalls, some of the obstacles, some of the things to be aware of? And I think you've already, you've already made this clear. Don't apologize for who you are. Be confident. Be strong in who you are. What are some other things you would tell Igbo women, Igbo men, minorities that are looking to succeed within corporate America? Learn as much as you can about the industry in which, or the area you're trying to get into. Read, ask questions, mm-hmm. um, be, be curious, keep an open mind, and remember as much as you can, right? And try always to figure out how things connect to each other. Mm. Read people, seek Seek advice from others. Do not, be, do not believe you know everything. Seek advice. Ask why. Mm. Ask how. Mm. Um, ask, always ask questions. Mm. And use, use people in your network to figure, out, figure it out, mm. right? Um, but being curious, um, mm-hmm. learning, so you ask questions, but then also working hard when you have to. Um, 
you ca- you don't ever say, oh, uh, that's not in my area or mm. whatever. Why mm. not? Mm. You know, be be open to it. Mm. Um, and then, so if you're prepared, if you, you, you've learned so much and you're prepared, any environment you get into, you will you will do well. Mm. Um, you may not be perfect because, again, you've, you've taken a stretch role, right? And then you learn as much as you can about your surroundings mm. and then ask people outside your surroundings, how does this fit into the bigger picture, mm. right? Mm. Um, mm. And, and do that. And then, then look at how, I would say, emulate to a certain extent how others are, are comporting themselves within um, the company mm. you're in, right? Mm. So you're in corporate America, people dress a certain way, maybe mm. speak a certain way, right? I wouldn't say follow sheepishly everything that they do, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but at the same time, if they're dressing somewhat conservatively, you kind of need to do that mm. um, until they, they trust you, they know who you are, yeah. and they understand that you bring, you have something to bring to the table, exactly. right? Exactly. Um, yeah, and then, yeah. you know, if they're speaking in, you know, using your inside voice, <laughs> do that, <laughs> Sometimes the Nigerians are very loud. We forget ourselves, you know. <laughs> so, and as evil people as well, where you know, also we're, un, you know, we we are unapologetic, yes. you know, more than any other group. Exactly. We, you know, at least the other people were bad. Evil people know why, you know. <laughs> you can't tell me who I am. It's me. <laughs> That is so so true. That is so true. (laughs) You make me laugh. So, you, but you raise an interesting point, Adana, because um, this is something that could apply to anyone. So, I say this because I know you and I know that you're an extrovert, right? You're not, Mm -hmm. you're very confident. You don't have any problem approaching people you don't know, networking, introducing yourself, connecting people. What would you say to people who are more introverted, right? People who are more shy, but still want to succeed. Would you say these, these tips apply to everyone, regardless of your personality? Do you see where I'm going? Yes, I would say that you were not completely correct in saying that I'm an extrovert. I was, as a teenager, I was not an extrovert. Really? As a, yes, as a young adult kind of growing through, I was not an extrovert. Huh. Um, what, what makes me extroverted, if you would, when I come out is, my interest in people. And once I start mm. talking to them and I make a connection, mm. then, you know, I lose any sense of that you're being so introverted. Um, mm. So I would say it applies to everybody yes. because my, my initial tack is if I go into a room, if it's a, a work setting or a party setting, I go to the quiet people in the corner because sometimes mm. they actually know more and mm. the fact that they're shy, they've watched everyone and they have a, a, a greater sense of what's going on. So I think, you know, targeting people like that initially to talk and break the ice mm. will help you know, the person network, especially when you go to expos and big sessions, right? Mm. How people network um, uh, in, in, in those settings that could be um, a bit daunting. Um, mm. The other thing is do a little bit of homework before you go to, you know, wherever it is and learn a little bit so you have um, things to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, with, mm-hmm. with the groups of people that are there. Mm-hmm. And, and, for example, if you're going to a, an ex- exposition or, or some session or a seminar, um, on, on something, say cloud computing or blockchain or whatever mm. it is, read up a little bit yes. about it and then, you know, ask, find, write up a couple of questions that you are curious about, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And now in the world of technology, you can use your uh, voice memos to kind of record yourself when you're asking questions or mm-hmm. talking, so kind mm-hmm. of to prepare. Yes. And hearing your voice over and over again um, helps you kind of build that confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also maybe seek Seek mentoring, seek ways to, to get coaching, right? So that's one of the reasons why 
I like to, so when I was at Deloitte, I would see people um, of color, mm. didn't matter who, mm. um, and I wanted to talk, I would reach out and talk to them and ask them about their story and what's happening. And mm. you'd be very surprised that a lot of people, you know, don't get seen because, you know, in, in corporate America, a lot of it is about trying to network with people who yes. will influence your career upwards. Exactly. And never mind just, you know, reaching out to another human being. We work together, for God's sakes. You need mm. to know you know, who's sitting next to you. Mm. Um, so mm. breaking the ice for me, you know, came to this. So my dad was, or would always say, if you're stuck in a, a crisis situation, right, you want to know, you want to have spoken to the person that you're in that building with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because if you don't do it beforehand in an emergency, yeah. they're less likely to help you and save you. Yes. So the way I translate that is a lot of times if I'm in a, a work setting, I'm like, if I'm stuck in an elevator with somebody and there's a fire, I want to have already said one or two words to that person, mm-hmm. figure out kind of, you know, where they are. And then they sort of know me mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Before we get into a crisis situation. So that's kind of, I guess, what allows me to open up a little bit more with people. Interesting. And you know what? The two things that I I heard, first one is that I never knew that you were an introvert. So you come across (laughs) as an extrovert, which is amazing because that's helpful for introverts to know. The second thing that really sort of hit home was what motivates you is interest in the other person, right? So it's not just about yourself and trying to sell yourself or look at me, look at me. It's about Mm -hmm. learning about the other person. And and it's interesting because that always comes across, right? People know when you're genuinely interested in them and they're more willing to open up. So that's, Mm -hmm. I'm glad you, I'm glad you explained that. That's great. I want to move on to something else that I know is near and dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. which is the Young Professionals Network. Um, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about how that started, what motivated you to start, and, and what the, the goal and the mission of this is and, and what you're trying to achieve. Okay. So um, I've always loved helping um, the younger generation, right? I find that talking with um, people who are younger than me or still growing and learning is very um, exciting. It stimulates my mind, mm. um, understanding how they think. <laughs> and I'm not necessarily in a correctional mode. It's more just hearing their point of view mm. and trying to maybe sometimes put it in context, in a historical context. And mm. I'll, I'll expound on that a little bit more. But um, so even so, so it's, I've always wanted to do that. And one of the things I had wanted to do was I always thought Nigeria would settle and be stable. And I thought it would be very nice if, if I could take inner city kids from D.C., New York, or wherever it was, to Nigeria and just Mm. set them loose. Mm. Because a lot of inner-city kids here are stifled. Mm. You know, don't do this, don't do that. You know, they're not not allowed to just do or Mm. to just be, Mm. right? And I think Africa, and I don't just think Nigeria, Africa as a whole allows you to do that. Mm. You know, you go to Zambia, you go to Kenya, you go to wherever it is, you go to Ethiopia, the same thing. Everybody, Mm. we, you know, Africa sees people as individuals, each person contributing to the larger community. Mm. And even if you have one eye, one hand, whatever it is, Mm. you're accepted, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I've always wanted to do that. And so when I found that I couldn't really do that, family reasons, you know, I have my family here. It's not something that was really um, doable. I mean, in the long run, I might still be able to, I might work with a group of people and I have not given up that hope, right? Um, So I thought, let me just start in the small ways that I can. And um, so some of that was within Deloitte, I would reach out, as I said, to other um, 
people of color and talk about, you know, what's, what are you doing? Let me explain to you a little bit how to network within Deloitte. Mm-hmm. Have you reached out to this person? Mm-hmm. Um, you really should consider doing this, you know, in order to grow your brand this way. Mm-hmm. So as I st- kept doing that, I noticed that my kids were also growing and my friend's kids too. Mm-hmm. And the light bulb went on when a friend's daughter was telling me that she had didn't have a resume and I was like what do you mean you don't have a resume and mm. she um granted she was in her second year or third year in college but about to graduate and I'm like that doesn't make sense right. when I went to Drexel for my undergrad as part of my co-op which is um Drexel was one of the first universities that allowed you to do internships and actually um supported you throughout so it was required it wasn't mm-hmm. that you know um you just did it on your own so mm-hmm. it was required to do an internship um in your in your um sophomore year mm. so and so by the time what happened was Drexel, Drexel graduates by the time they finished had already worked in two or three different jobs mm. figured out what they wanted or did not want right mm. and then so that way when they finished they knew where they would land mm. um, so I I was surprised that my friend's daughter did not have a resume so I said that that needs to change and, and then I said as I was talking to all of them I'd realized that the the missing piece is while they're all very bright, all capable, they finished from college, then what? Mm-hmm. Some of them got jobs, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. And then even if they did, they would get a job for six months, a year, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. And the missing thing is that um, people in corporate America didn't see them, didn't see themselves in these young um, people of color, so would mm-hmm. not necessarily coach or mentor them or guide right, them. Right. They would just give them instructions right. and just throw it at them like, do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people, they would take the time to guide, to explain to mentor, you know, and so I said, you know, I have experience in corporate America. I know a lot of my friends do, like go to you, of course. <laughs> I have my friend Sandra that does, mm. uh, my friend Melissa does, mm. and so there were a, a bunch of us that I said, you know, I need to reach out to people in my network and say, can you talk to? Let's let's set up a small group, mm. um, my kids and my friends' children, to guide them because there's so much that they need to know they don't know and it started Mm -hmm. out more from wanting them to know how to write their resume Mm -hmm. how to interview how to write you know have an elevator speech Mm -hmm. talk about yourself Mm -hmm. and those were the initial um things i wanted them to learn Mm -hmm. and since then it sort of blossomed Mm -hmm. um we had one session we haven't had another one Mm -hmm. um so what happened was my husband was able to give us his office space Mm -hmm. so he gave us the boardroom i insisted that the the, the young people came, young professionals came to his office at 10 o'clock. Mm. So I sent out an email, explained to them what it would be. I put a, a slide deck together and explained what the concept was, mm. um, that I was allowing, I was connecting the dots for them. So they're done with college. What do they, or even some while they're still in college. So mm-hmm. we took a couple, we had a couple of people who were still in college. Mm-hmm. What do you do um, when you go from college to the workforce? What should that look like? How mm. should you prepare yourselves? Um, and, oh, by the way, and so we're able to rally together, I think, about 12, 12 young professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really good. Um, they weren't just Nigerians. They had um, African-Americans. Mm-hmm. I had um, yeah, so kids from, from all over. Mm. Um, so, but, you know, f- friends and then uh, colleagues from work who were like, one of my colleagues, T- Tony Brown, Tony was like, Yes, I have my two boys. They're coming. I said, have you talked to them? They're like, no, no, they need to be there. 
And truly, his sons were there. They were there at 9.30. The, the session Great. was at 10 o'clock. 9.30, dress in professional oh, outfit. I told everybody, great. they need to dress professionally. Yes. Come prepared. Have your resume. Talk about yourselves. I love that. And it was really, that session was really good, stimulating. Mm-hmm. The challenge has been just getting everybody's schedule I know. to coordinate. I know. But to, to mesh. But yeah. yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I, I'm getting this theme of helping other people, which is kind of, really uh, who you are, which is just amazing. It's I, I love that. So how do you balance it all? Because you work full time, obviously, you have children, you're married. How do you handle stress? And do you believe in a work life balance? Talk to us a little bit about that. I think in a way, this whole work-life balance thing has been over. I don't know. They talk about it too much. I don't know. There's no <laughs> such thing, right? What is that? Yeah, I don't know what that means. But what it means to me, right, what it means to me is um, just being able to to plan things out and, as you said, have balance, right? But mm-hmm. have balance means, yes, you work hard, but you also need to rest, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. you're, you, everybody needs to kind of sleep, decompress, find something that stimulates you. So... Um, Yes, I have. I set goals for myself and for my family. <laughs> Whether or not they they follow is a different thing. <laughs> but I set goals for myself, right? And and I try and maintain it. But I'm also realistic. So if things come in that what might um, divert my attention that are more important, um, I will let that. But I don't go back to that ultimate goal, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the ways I find so work can be stressful, and mm-hmm. it, it it is right. Mm-hmm. But while even while I'm at work. Um, if you work with me, you'll, until you know me, you'll think I'm a little uh, off and crazy, right? And I say that because, first of all, I sit on a fitness ball at work. So, um, and then I usually have small little gadgets. If I don't have a weight, um, a, a, a piece of weight with me, I have um, elastic bands or whatever that I used to do stretches. Mm. Um, when I worked at Patent Trademarks, everybody would know me. I'll take a break. Um, I would do lunges to the bathroom. I'll do squats <laughs> while I'm sitting. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so just kind of weaving in part of, part of it is, you know, being able to get the blood flow back to you. you we sit a lot, we read a lot. So you need to move around. You mm-hmm. need to be able to, um, as you're working so that you can still come back, you know, recharged. Um, so th- that's part of it. But the other big one that's important for me is I definitely exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to exercise every day. Uh, mm. Seven days a week? Um, if it's not a walk, yes. Because oh, if wow. you eat every day, you need to move every day. Okay, Our bodies are meant, meant to move. Okay. So it doesn't have to be a strenuous exercise. It could mm-hmm. be yoga. It could be stretching. It could be, you know, some people who do Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is that mind-body connection to me mm-hmm. is very important. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, finding release that way is good. Finding something that you're passionate. I read a lot as well. So, um, so I have a lot on my iPad, um, both for pleasure and, and work. Uh, so those, those are ways I find release. Um, what else? Shopping isn't necessarily therapy for me. I, I, I can only stay in a mall for a short bit, so I wouldn't say that's ever therapy. I find other things that I like to do, um, sometimes outdoors, um, you know, going uh, sailing sometimes. Mm. I'm not a rock climber, so that's mm. not really me, <laughs> but mm. I, could, I could do sightseeing, things like that. But connecting with friends also is, is a nice way of releasing, so you yeah. talk to people, and, mm. and people I like. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I find that the older I get, the less I, I like spending time around negative people yes, because to me that sense. also is draining. Makes sense. So, yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So you mentioned you like to read. Do you have mm-hmm. a favorite book or are there a few books that you've read that you would recommend to the audience? Ooh la la. <laughs> 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 uh, 
as an author, I like Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. Um, so I'm trying to remember the last book of his I read, but, um, he, he, he makes sense to me. Mm. Um, a lot of, a lot of, um, I read all of his books because I've only Mm. read two so far. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've read excerpts from the others. Mm. Um, and then another author whose book I like is, uh, Chimamanda. Yeah. Adichie, mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. I love her outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, yes. she has an, her newest book. I haven't read yet, but I was watching um, Trevor uh, Noah uh, Trevor, mm-hmm. and um, he was talking about um, I guess fifteen principles to being a feminist. Mm. That's a book I really really want to read because she made some interesting points. That being a feminist doesn't mean that, and I quote her, <laughs> doesn't mean that you hate men or you, you, you should scorn your femininity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think feminists in the 50s and 60s and earlier took that stance. Yes. Um, and I don't necessarily think, I agree with her, I don't think that's, um, that should be the focus. Being a feminist means that you do want not just equality, but fairness mm-hmm. and fair treatment yeah. for women as much as men. Mm-hmm. And it's not that we're saying um, men shouldn't be treated fairly. No, mm-hmm. it's just that we need to kind of raise up women a little bit more mm-hmm. um, than they have been. Mm-hmm. So that's a book which I actually plan on reading. Um, so I, I will be, I'll be getting that pretty soon. Amazing, so, amazing. Yeah. Before we end, I do just want to ask you one more question. And it's kind of mm-hmm. a question that I ask in different forms to pretty much everyone that I, I interview. And it's this, it's, if you had it all to do again, or what would you say to your 20 year old self, or maybe framed a different way? What would you say to someone who is 18, 20, a young lady coming up that you wish you'd known at that age? Hmm, something that I wish I'd known at that age. <laughs> um, hmm. Because it sounds to me like, you, you know, you, you kind of did it the right way. You were confident, you gained a lot of insight from your parents. But if you were, okay, so let's frame it a different way. If you were to give advice to your daughter, right, who's <laughs> like, you know, mommy, I'm looking at this job. I don't think I... I'm qualified or I don't think I'm confident. Some a message that you wish someone had told you when you were starting out. Maybe that would help. Does that help? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Okay. So, um I guess I guess the the one thing I I wish I told my 18 or 20, as I said I was an introvert and I don't think as I said you don't really that didn't come doesn't come across as much. Mm-hmm. Um I think it would be um not to overthink things mm. and and to kind of just Try, try things more. Um, I think I learned that it, maybe a little too, I don't know if you want to say too late. I guess mm. everything comes down to, you know, you're at the right time at the right place and mm. all that kind of stuff. So mm. I don't think it was too late. But I, I wish, I, I guess, I had internalized that. Mm. So I hadn't internalized it. I think that's where that, that difference is. Mm. So I wish I had internalized that earlier. Mm. Then that would have, you know to me, made it a little easier. So um, internalizing that and not, so the whole thing of self-doubt or questioning oneself, um, because sometimes I think my daughter is, a, is not as, um, is not as fearful, so to speak, mm. but, but mm-hmm. sometimes she, she thinks things like, well, uh, it sounds, it seems so good. So something, something's going to go bad. Mm. And I'm seeing that that's a thread through. And I think I, I had a little bit of that when I was, younger too, maybe on no unconsciously, right? Mm. Um, so I, w- I would, 
I would say, stop looking for things to go bad. Mm. Um, focus more on affirmations mm. and speaking out loudly um, what, what your goals are and what you want from mm. life. So I didn't learn about affirmations until a little later. Um, I was determined inside, but sometimes, you know, the, that whole, that second voice and self-doubt would kick in. And I would want to, if I was younger, I would, to my younger self, I'd say, um, remove that, mm. um, you mm. know, vocalize your your aspirations vocalize your vision for mm. yourself mm-hmm. uh, and affirm yourself so mm. not so much negative and throwing down i will do this i can do this yes. i will succeed yes. i am this yes. you know so being able to affirm that so i think that's that's what i would say to my younger self that's, um, yeah yeah that's perfect that's a great way to wrap this up this has been amazing i'm so glad we had this chat because I learned, I learned so much about you. You're such an interesting person. I'm, I'm really glad you were able to come on the show. Thank you. Thank I didn't think so about much. that, but okay. Thank you. <laughs> it works. It works. It works well. Thanks yes. so much, Adana. Thank you so You're much. You're welcome. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that discussion. Thank you. I'll talk. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. A quick reminder before you go to check out the website at www vebo.com and subscribe to the podcast to receive updates. Please also leave comments and provide feedback. You can also follow me on Instagram at Ebo Initiative. I look forward to speaking to you on the next episode.